Welcome to the Motorsport and Driver Development Show. I am Katie. And I'm Keto. And we're the co-founders of Mod Racing and Northwest Rally Association. And this podcast is just all about bringing answers to the questions that we get a lot through the different channels that we have set up, email, Facebook. And today is a really exciting episode where we talk all about car prep and reprep. But first, let's just talk about what's going on. Well, we opened registration for the last points race of the season. Yeah. And that sold out in under two minutes. Yes. Um, which is awesome and interesting. And, and, and sad. And sad. It's really hard. We love that our events are popular and people love coming to them, but we hate that we can't have everyone out to them. So this venue is a new venue to us, and there's just some size limitations, so we had to cap it. Right. But um, on the flip side, we are looking for a winter venue. Yeah. So we're looking for a spot that we can do some racing either on the ice or the snow. Um, frozen lakes, mill ponds, uh, even a field that we can flood. So if you have any ideas, you should hit us up. Yeah. If you give us a place and it works out, um, you'll, number one, have guaranteed entrance to those races, as well as you'll be able to race those uh, particular races for free. Yep. And just for clarification, because podcasts can reach anywhere, we are talking specifically in the Pacific Northwest, like Washington, Oregon, maybe even Idaho, but probably Washington and Oregon. Yeah, so say Washington. if you have the line on some some great winter racing we're all ears. Yeah. We've had a really great season, especially with COVID. It's just been so nice to be able to get out and race that usually we take the winter off, but it seems like it might be a good year to kind of keep going through through the off season because we all need a little bit of an outlet right now. So. Yep. That's why we're looking for a spot. And yeah. Everybody wants to do some ice and snow racing. Heck yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, today's episode, we talked to Brandon Burglar, who is the co-owner of the Car Spa, which is a shop out here in Bellevue. And Brandon is also a competitor in our series. He's a very successful competitor. I believe he is leading the stock all-wheel drive class this year in yeah, points. Yeah. Yeah. And runs, runs, runs a good shop. Yeah, he runs a great shop. Um, he services a lot of the cars of our competitors and our own cars. Yep. And um, we get into all kinds of great details about how to prepare for your first rally cross, what you need to bring with you in terms of tools, spares, talk a lot about tires, um, and just sort of what you need to keep eyes on as you're going through race day, yep. um, how to work with the shop if that's what's what you want to do, or how to take stuff on on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're experienced, it's actually a great, great sort of refresh on Good checkpoints, good care, good maintenance, good prep and reprep for your car for a race day. So check it out. Hope you guys enjoy it. As always, you can find us on, on Facebook and Instagram at Mod Racing. Um, drop us a line, leave us a rating or review if you want this show to show up in, in the search results for other people. Yeah, and you can always check for upcoming events on our website, which is NorthwestRallyAssociation.com and ModRacing.com. This is all true. So thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie. And I'm Keto. And today we are joined with Brandon Burglar, who is the co-owner of the Car Spa in Bellevue, Washington, but also the fastest guy in the stock all-wheel drive class. Oh yeah, Jeff's not going to like that. 
<laughs> but I think we're <laughs> welcome to the show. Today, we are going to talk about all things related to car prep and reprep and all of the mechanical nuts and bolts behind getting ready for rallycross. So, for those who don't know, uh, reprep is the repreparation of your car after a race. Um, getting it ready for the next race. And then just prep is getting it prepared ahead of time. <laughs> there you go. And we've defined all the terms. So, Brandon, you are someone with our group who does a lot of prepping and repepping of cars for competitors. And so you're sort of our go-to expert on all these things. If someone is a first-time competitor what are your like key checkpoints that you think they should do before they come out and even race for the first time? I would say definitely check your wheels and tires. That's the only thing that keeps you really planted on the ground, but just make sure the vehicle's in a good, safe working condition. Make sure your seat belts work because that's what keeps you in there. Um, shake it down, take anything out of it that's loose. And in doing that, you might find something broke. Uh, Always check and clean, clean anything you can because you're going to find something bad. If you find you might find something bad, let's say. But if you've been driving a car and you hear something funny, inspect it before you want to bring it out on the road. Something that's abnormal to your daily driving or something like that. You're going to be putting it through much harsher conditions than just going over a speed bump or, or you know, maybe accidentally hopping a curb. <laughs> it's going to be a lot more strenuous on the car. And then Probably make sure you got good air pressure, obviously, is going to be a good one. Just a good shakedown of the car, and everyone out there is always willing to help. So if you have any kind of issues or questions, even on the Facebook page, or reach out to someone out there, and we're more than happy to answer any questions you got. Okay, so I am not a car person, and you brought you just said two things that to you guys probably sound super easy and straightforward, but I'm like, wait, what does that even mean? The first one is you said, check your wheels and tires. What do you like? Are you tightening them down? Like, what are you checking? Make sure your lug nuts are tight. Um, shake the actual wheel and tire itself. If you have a friend that can look underneath the vehicle while you're turning the wheel slightly, you can see if anything moves as far as the linkage that goes from either the steering rack to the wheel itself or anything that shouldn't be moving. See if something's loose or if there's play in it. If you see an, a lot of grease coming out of a joint, inspect it. If you see a joint that's really rusty, maybe that could be bad as well because there's no grease in there to grease that joint. But anything you see that's, it's hard to explain if you haven't, you know, if you're not under a car looking at it. So that's kind of difficult too. And if you don't have the ability to put it up on a rack or have good lighting to be able to see what you're working on, it can also make it difficult. But it wouldn't hurt to, you know, if you if you don't have the means to do it yourself, even if you took it to a local mechanic or something like that. And a lot of us, a lot of us small shops, we inspect stuff for free. You know, it will if we get we do at least, you know, we, we're more than happy to help out. And if even if you go to get an alignment, let's say at the Schwab's or something or wherever you your, your alignment shop or your Firestone or whoever, you know, you like having doing it, they're going to tell you what you might need to have done to the vehicle as well. So that's, they want to upsell. So, <laughs> but that would be a good way too, if it's something that you're not comfortable with doing to have them check out the vehicle for you. That's good advice. Yeah. So, so yeah, that brings up uh, the next point, which is, yeah. At what point do you think, you know, you want to take it to somebody? So if you're, 
a, a new person, you don't know a whole lot about cars, you could probably check all the fluids, check your tire pressure with a gauge, so on and so forth. But, you know, if you shake your wheel and you feel it clunking back and forth, you know, I mean, what point do you think, you know, I better take it to a shop as opposed to try and do it myself? I think that's a personal comfort level. I would tell even I consider us here a training shop. So I got our guys here. They're all, they were green from the start and we worked them up. And I always tell everyone just don't be afraid to get dirty and don't be afraid to get in. Because even if you get in there and you get to a point where you're over your head or you don't feel comfortable with where you're at, you can always kind of just put it back together and take it to someone who can do it. Hmm. If you're just too far beyond the point, maybe you don't have the space to do it or the tools to do it, then that's where you just got to say, okay, either I'm going to invest in trying to learn how to do this myself, buy the tools, do that, and then you're full on committed to doing that. Or then you take it to a you know a shop anywhere you want to go and you know have them take care of it. But I would tell anyone, if you're afraid of diving into doing something, don't be, get over that hurdle. As someone told me, put on your big boy pants and <laughs> and get in there and go and just get dirty. It's You can't mess it up so bad that it can't be fixed. There's always more metal in the world, so it's worth trying. <laughs> There's always more metal. <laughs> so if you um, are brand new, getting to a rally cross, um, what would you say are the things that you definitely want to do to the car to get it prepared to be able to handle um you know rally cross course um you know is there particular things you know maybe skip plates or mud flaps or i don't know i mean you tell us mud flaps are personal preference they can either rip a fender liner out or they can keep your car cleaner but <laughs> well, um i don't run them it just seems like it's something that's going to get in the way but at the same time it's i'm stock class so i'm lower to the ground as most of the other guys so i try to keep stuff from dragging too much uh skid plate a hundred percent yes get one do it build your own that's what i did you know if you're up to that level of doing stuff anything you can to protect it um Anything that you think could possibly get pulled up into the wheel well, make sure that your brake lines are secured in the factory. Every vehicle has a factory position for where the brake line should be. So if you're turning the wheel, the line will not rub on the tire, causing you to lose your brakes. So just make sure that everything is secured in within the wheel well to make sure it's not going to get ripped out or tearing something out. It's very important that you'll need. Um, uh, using skid plates, but... Uh, what was the other one I was thinking? Uh, I would go over, definitely make sure that all your axle nuts are tight. Not just your lug nuts, but the axle nuts themselves. If it's a serviceable bearing, I've seen a few of that at our races, that guys just go back to the paddock, tighten them up, come back, they're good to rock. But just make sure that all of those little points are very tightened up. Um, I just went through before our last race on our car and found that we had our strut plates were blown out. Actually, I could see the whole plate itself was doming upwards so that was kind of a big hey there's something to look for and lift the car up and the car tire just kind of stayed on the ground as the car was lifting so <laughs> we went ahead and replaced those but um i can't think of anything that's too critical for a first timer because the biggest thing you're going to go out there do is you're going to go out there and have fun and 
pick up a lot of combs. So, <laughs> but other than that, um, kind of going back down the same road of just make sure your car is clean and everything's out of it. There's not too much, you know, the windows are staying up, you know, maybe keep, make sure your door locks work. I've seen a couple, we saw a door last time come open, <laughs> but for the most part, your general maintenance is going to be fine for an absolute first timer. And unless you're a first timer with a super modded out car, then you probably know what you're doing as far as building a car. Yeah. It's funny. You were saying, I think some people bring out really old cars and then they find things like the windows don't stay up or the doors don't stay closed, which is a whole other, you might want to test that out. But you guys just casually mentioned skid plates and maybe build your own. Um, let's talk. What What is a skid plate? Skid plate is an underbody covering to keep any rocks or debris or anything from coming up either into the engine bay. Uh, I was actually talking to you a little bit about getting that plastic underlaying that you can put under the car can protect some cars like uh, brake lines, fuel lines and stuff. They run under the belly of the vehicle. So if you have any big rocks or anything like that, they'll obviously could hit that and puncture and either spray fuel everywhere, which is very dangerous, or lose your brakes again. So anything, it's an underbody covering to keep any kind of debris from actually impacting the bottom of the vehicle. It's going to take the hit. It's like a little shield, literally. Um, and then uh, you can also have more mounting points for like, I've seen some exhaust and stuff like that hanging. Maybe more mounting points for exhaust would help. We picked up quite a few exhaust pieces, I believe, at the first race of the year. I think we had about four or five mufflers laying over in the corner. <laughs> so make sure all those points are, you know, taken care of. But the underbody covering and skid plate will also help just from erosion and wear and tear on the bottom of the vehicle. Uh, I mean, I've seen some cars come through that have been like cars for a while, and there's clear holes through the bottom of the vehicle where it's just been sandblasted or beaten to crap. Yeah. So anything you can do to protect the bottom is always good. Mm. And yeah, I would definitely say too. Um, a lot of the modern cars have aluminum oil pans that are cast aluminum, and it just take one rock and they crack. Um, steel oil pans tend to take a little more beating, so that's where skid plates become a little more critical because it protects that aluminum oil pan. So if you like. One thing, skid plates can be either plastic or metal, right? Yeah, they do better if they're metal, for they're sure. Metal. Yeah. Well, some people do like that kind but of thick plastic. You do, yeah, you can do thick okay. plastic. And the plastic area, I think, is a little maybe better downstream from the drive wheels, um, where it's protecting it mm. from the spray off of the tires, as opposed to the metal skid plate under the motors doing a little more protection from impacts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is... Um, I see this kind of go around and sort of like, you know, in Facebook comments or sort of in forums, but quite often somebody who's relatively new will say, how do I even build a skid plate for my car? Is there a good resource for if you, let's say if you have a Ford Focus, like finding a good template for a skid plate for a Ford Focus? I just use that as an example. I, I mean, every fabricator to themselves if they want to try to build something, but uh, cardboard is a very good resource. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mock it up, make it, uh, what is it? Measure twice, cut once, you know, just make sure everything's perfect before you put it under there, you know, actually start cutting your material because material is going to be your most expensive part. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it yourself, your time's your own time. So it's however long it takes you and however 
perfect you would like to make it. Um, you don't have to have the fanciest tools in the world to make a bend or anything like that on, you know, just your standard sheet of steel or, or aluminum, which is what I used. But um, think outside the box when you're trying to build something. It's, you know, having good tools is a thing, but we're not a metal fab shop here by any means or a mechanical shop. You know, I have very few metal working tools, but if you're going to build it yourself, don't be afraid to make a jig or anything like that to help you make a bend or anything. Mm. Um, but cardboard, number one, <laughs> it's a really good way to mock stuff up and make stuff work. And uh, hardware, I mean, that's you can find just basically any of your Home Depot, any stuff like that will help you get hardware together. Yeah. And then metal around here, uh, I use Metal Superstore. I think they're down in Kent, or Metal Supermarkets. And they've been pretty good. And they even deliver to you if you want to. But as far as building your own, it's just take your time because that's going to be your most expensive part is the material. Yeah. I love that you mentioned cardboard. Keto has been a fabricator extraordinaire for a few many years. And I will still find him in the living room with like cardboard sort of like, all right, let's see how we can make this work. Like any, what do you call it? Professional crafting. You call He calls it arts and crafts. Usually. It is arts and crafts. <laughs> Um, it is. <laughs> so one last question from sort of your early bit, which is you guys, again, just super casually mention air pressure, check your air pressure. So I believe that you can like open your car door and there's often like guidance there of what your tires should be. But generally, how does one determine a good air pressure for rally cross? Oh, that's a gamble I play with the whole time racing. Uh, <laughs> Because in stock class, we run on snow tires. We can't run the rally tires or anything unless you go up into prepared. They can run, the, the rally tires can run a lower air pressure because they have a much stiffer sidewall. Mm -hmm. um, for our stock class running snow tires, it's a dance to keep the thing from coming off the beat. So obviously more lower air pressure will give you more traction, but the possibility of the tire coming off. Um, I have been very fortunate, knock on wood, that I have not debated yet. I thought it my last year at a race. It was a violent, oh my gosh, it's coming off because I was a little too low on air pressure. But I generally get a, my tires are 44 PSI max. I'll run them at about 40. Anything lower, it, it, it gets a little, yeah, I, I, I tell like even my wife when she's racing, I'm like, Remember, we have to have mechanical empathy because both of us are racing this car. I will save it for you if you save it for me. <laughs> so you can push it. Any of us can go out and blow a tire off at any second on a race. It's taking care of it is what's going to make you get through the end of the race. But if you're running stock tires, I would say somewhere in the 40, 38 range would kind of be a good judge of it's going to stay on if you get a little too aggressive, if you're starting out, if you want to get a little dicier and you're trying to get first place lowered a little more but it's it's a gamble we just had eric uh the last one he lost a tire and he was going for it so and he won but <laughs> he deserved it he worked hard <laughs> right and in rallycross you only get one shot at the db and then after that yep. you lose that run so. yeah i usually tell new people to max out tire pressure um and then they can start you know pulling some psi out of there from there but every time you drop a few psi the possibility of a db 
goes way up. Um, You know, and they're short runs, so you can even sometimes go a few pounds over max pressure. You're not going to create a bunch of heat in the tire. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say for a rally tire, um, there are different, different rally tires and they all, you know, have a different level of de-beating. I mean, there's some tires that, you know, you can't get them off the rim, even if you try. Um, and then there's other ones that do. And so, you know, kind of a good rule of thumb maybe is to start in the high twenties and then, you know, start pulling pressure out, maybe start at 30 and then come down. Um, you know, you're going to start out with maybe a little, little less grip, like you said, but you know, um, you need to find that threshold where you get grip and yet you still get a reliable tire for all moving. So that that would be my input on it. And that also leads us into something that that's probably not the tire pressures you want to drive to and from the event on. Mm -hmm. So people might want to make or have some sort of way of adding tire pressure from maybe having a little pump, little compressor, or maybe an air tank that they bring Mm -hmm. with them. So, you know, because I mean, if your your car is calling for 35 and then you show up and you're pumping them up to 44, it's going to be pretty, pretty rough ride. And you're going to wear the middle of the tires to and from the event. Mm. Okay. So now I have maybe a dumb question, but we'll call it a newbie question. So you run higher PSI when you're racing? Yes. Oh, I always thought it was lower. Well, on uh, yeah, I mean, on a rally tire, it's lower than a street tire. But if you're running in a spot class with a street tire, you're pumping it full of air to try and keep it on the rim. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's your. I mean, because you can go fast, but if you lose a tire, you're not going. You lost it all. So yeah. So it's this trade-off between maximum grip and keeping the tire on the rim, and with a stockish like snow tire, Mm -hmm. keeping the tire on the rim is really yeah. important because if you don't you're not going to win yeah so, so this, this is actually a good a good point let's talk a little bit about stock tires if you're rally crossing there's a couple you have a couple options right like you run snow tires yep you there's you've told me before there's like an all-weather one that you recommend is that right winter force yeah that's a that's a snow tire that's a snow tire also. okay yeah. Yeah, Winter Force is a real popular one uh, from Firestone because mm-hmm. it has a high void ratio. Mm-hmm. It has big blocks of air in between the tread. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a in, in stock class, you have to run a DOT tire that has a tire identification number. So it mm-hmm. has to be a street legal tire. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most aggressive street legal type tire is a snow That's tire. Snow. Yeah. So which ones do you guys run, Brandon? Uh, we run the Coopers. I've been pretty okay with those so far. I just got, they stopped making the ones that I've been using. So I got some new one, which we'll see what happens next year with them. But yeah. uh, I, I got them early because I didn't know if we we're going to make it on a one set this year. My yeah. car took a lot of abuse. <laughs> is, um, is your Cooper, is it, is it a studdable snow tire? No. Oh, so it's a total uh, studless? Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So, because yeah. I know, like, some of the tires, for example, like the Blizzak doesn't do great yeah. off-road because it's like, I mean, it's literally, you feel it's like a sponge and the tire just goes away. Um, yeah. Gravel. And so, you know, sort of my rule of thumb, which is why I asked this, is that a lot of the studdable tires 
tend to have like a harder compound mm-hmm. in them because they have to have at least a hard enough compound to hold a stud. Um, yep. Whereas like um, a, a Blizzak type tire is just a big sponge, you know, and you couldn't put a stud in it, it wouldn't stay in it, you know? So that's, you know, like the winter force is a studdable, but that's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So, yeah, no, they've been working good. I think a lot of the set of tires I worked for discount tire for many years mm-hmm. and towards the end of me leaving discount tire, I could kind of tell, I felt like the rubber, they all kind of started using the same kind of compounds and they were putting more fiberglass, I think, in the, the rubber itself to get more grip if it was a studless snow tire. But you could also see on a lot of the studded snow tires, right around the area where the stud would be, there would be a lot less of the siping, the right. little slits in the tire. Right. So having less siping is going to make that area of the tire much stiffer to yeah. keep the stud in it. Right. Um it was a gamble trying the tires that I've been using when I first got them because I was like, yeah, I kind of want to go. I actually ordered a set of studded tires or studded bull tires that Cooper had, but no, they couldn't get them at the time. So they showed up with those and they worked. So I've ran them for two seasons and I've just, I went all through, um, well, dual driving for a whole season on the tires and even the rally school was awesome. Um, I know a lot of guys, they shredded their tires out of Dirtfish. Just their rally tires were getting shredded out there. And I was kind of worried about, you know, Krista doing the whole rally school for two days, you know, and then the play session and then dual driving for the two races. And by the end of it, I'm like, we're good. They're still holding up. So I've been pretty impressed with these ones. And the Stunless Snow Tire has been working great. So we'll see what this new set is. It's a little different. It almost kind of looks like a gravel tire because right now the ones I got are directional. Um, but, uh, there's not as much void like Hito was talking about in them, but I think the compound is help with what's going on with these. So, but we'll see, it'll be a gamble. Mm. Okay. One last tire question. When you are going through a season, you just said like, Oh, I looked at them and they looked fine. You're going through a season and you're trying to keep an eye on how your tires are doing. What are you looking for? I generally look even after every hard race um i'll walk around the tire while i'm just sitting there in line ready to go i even feel the edge of it if you see like a little bubble outwards on the tire that's an impact break that's where a piece of the nylon on the side of the tire actually it's kind of hard to explain without showing you but it's like you'll have the curvature of your tire but there'll be an extra little room like a little bubbles forming and that's where air is actually getting behind the layer that is holding up the weight of the vehicle per se and that can cause a blowout basically and then a db um so i check that check your air pressure obviously make sure you're not going too high or too low i do see when we do tend to have dbs it's a couple races in and every time a guy gets back from a race they go and they lower the air pressure a little bit but then they sit in line for 20 minutes till they go again and now their air pressure has gone even further down because they just came off a hot run so maybe be a little bit closer to your start time when you're checking that air pressure if you're going to change it i would say (laughs) um and then once you get back home or whatever if you have a chance take the tires off the car i'd recommend inspect the inside of them and if you got any rocks or anything in the bead of the tire just air the tire down get a little screwdriver in there and generally you can pop them right out so it's not too hard. You're not taking the whole tire off the wheel. You're just getting the dirt and the, the nasty stuff out of the bead of the wheel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah to, to sort of uh, go a little deeper and explain it. Um, 
uh, I, I want to say modern tires, but they've been doing this for a long time. When they stopped going from inner tubes and went to a tubeless tire, there's actually something called the inner liner, which is like the inner tube built into the tire itself. And an impact will actually break some of the cords inside and split that inner layer. And then what happens is air gets in there and gets the bubble, like mm. he was saying. Um, so, so yeah. And then another thing that I see with D-beads is you can lower your tire pressure to a point where you're not actually D-beading, yet you're picking up rocks between the rim and the tire itself. So you haven't pulled it far enough where it's popping off the rim, but it's collecting rocks. And then what that happens is that creates a little leak and they don't realize that they're actually bleeding pressure. Mm. And then they go for a run and boom, they knock the tire off of the rim because it's unknowingly dropped pressure. So I would also say for the stock guys, at the end of a run, I do a little walk around also and make sure. And if you have tires that have rocks in them, then I'd be paying very, very close attention to it. And so then the, the other thing is when he was talking about checking your tire pressure closer to the start line, um, tires heat up as you use them. And then that creates an expansion of the air, which creates higher pressure. And so then when you come in and it's cooling down, it retracts. So if you come in hot and you bleed off pressure to a certain pressure. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest, you know, when, you know, make a decision, race day, where you want to set your tires, set them when they're cold before you do any runs. And then, you know, you want to have that as your baseline as opposed to trying to check them throughout the runs, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, that would be, that'd be a big one for that. Awesome. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, somebody has a car that they are running stock class or maybe repaired and they either daily drive it or drive it regularly. Um, how often would you suggest um, they do an oil change on their car? Like do they still go the 3000 miles or I mean, after it, like, what do you think? Depends on your driving habits and your styles, but I personally, I don't daily drive the car, but I still do an oil change after every race. Mm -hmm. I am in the school of oil is much cheaper than an engine. So why not just change your oil out while you got a chance? If you're a daily driver, um, and again, depending how hard you really drive it, you know, I wouldn't be afraid to go the 3,000 miles. I mean, the engines are designed to take it, even if you're beating the crap out of the thing. But um if it's something that you're doing more than just auto, you know, or rally cross, and then you're going to autocross and you're doing this, that I'll be a lot more diligent on doing it. You know, if you're going to go do autocross one weekend and then rally cross the next, and you know, I mean, you got multiple events you're doing, maybe you go to car shows that are further away. I would do it every maybe 2000. Um, but if it's a daily driver that you've come to two or three of these a year, then you're fine to probably just do every 5,000. It just really depends on your own taste. If you have the type of vehicle that says, hey, you can do 8,000 mile oil changes, I don't recommend it. Even if the car says it can do it for a daily, I can tell the difference between an engine that gets their standard three to 5,000 mile oil changes versus my customers that only come every 8,000 miles to do their oil changes. When I have to go open the engine up and I look inside, it's, it's evident that the oils just can't take it. And then I don't know if you guys care about the, the types, if you like synthetic or if you like conventional. Um, 
I'm kind of on the semi-synthetic blend kind of setup. If you run a synthetic and you're going to run it hard, I would recommend changing it more often because I actually see a lot of crystallization in it. Whereas in the older, let's say the old dinosaur conventional oil, that's where you hear the stories of engines gumming up because when it gets hot, it actually gums up. The synthetic stuff I see actually crystallize and I'm seeing problems with like variable valve timing and stuff like that, where you can't just clean it out by using, let's say, an engine, you know, the little engine flushes that they sell you or whatever. Um, it can prevent or cause more problems, especially in turbo cars. I see it a lot in BMWs. But it just depends on your car, you know, what you're actually running. Um, but again, the more you can, th- the more oil you can put in it, you know, fresh oil, the, the better I think you're going to be off saving that engine. Yeah, I would agree. So your take is uh, a semi-synthetic because you kind of get the best of both. So mm-hmm. I will say um, one thing um, is that if you run a race fuel that has any amount of lead in it, um, synthetics don't do well with with lead because that lead it actually sheds the lead and gets into the gets into the oil um and so you can use a semi-synthetic which is kind of considered an okay um deal for it um especially if you have like a turbo um so you know synthetics do a little better with the heat um than the conventional but you know uh like even an aircraft that run a lot of leaded fuels they they're required to run a conventional oil not a synthetic because of its ability to bond to the lead and keep it keep it out of the way you know so yeah anyways um modern cars that go eight thousand don't want to do it (laughs) that's that's the advice we're going to take away from today just because the dealer says you can go eight thousand miles does not mean you recommend it so then So moving on to guys who do like mod and prepared who tow their vehicles there, um, you know, tow rigs need maintenance. You know, they get fired up once a month to go out to a race and then they sit there the rest of the time. Like, what would you recommend guys, you know, to do preventative maintenance on their tow rigs? A trailer. If you're in the, if you're in the school of towing, uh, you probably know what you're going to have to take care of your own truck and stuff like that. But I would say, you know, don't let a car sit. If it can't, if you can do anything to help yourself, don't let them sit. Cars don't like sitting. They like to be ran. I got 230 on my truck and I, you know, I drive it every day and stuff like that, but I'm not afraid to go to Albany or California or whatever, because I know the truck. I listen to it. I, you know, I drive it, but if you're going to just drive it once a month, maybe bump up that drive schedule, take it, to the grocery store on a weekend or something like that. Get it, get it out and get it working because you're going to hear if there's something wrong. Um, but just like you would shake down your car, shake down your truck, you know, make sure that everything's good to go and not just the truck itself, but you know, whatever you're towing behind your trailer, check your trailer bearings, check all your tires and stuff like that. Look for anything that doesn't look right. Make sure your lights work, you know, go through all that because the last thing you want to do is be driving home after a long race day and get pulled over because your tail lights out on your trailer. (laughs) Not going to be fun. Um, but as far as going over truck maintenance, it's not much different than a car. I mean, all these things run on fuel and gas and grease and made of steel. So it's, it's shaking it down and making sure that the actual vehicle itself is worthy to go on the road, that your coolant's topped off your oil, just like anything you would normally do with your car. Yeah. 
So if you are running a stock car and let's say fully stock, like it's just completely unmodified versus running a turbocharged Subaru or something of that nature, are there any different steps you should be taking during your reprep in between events? Um, I would say if you're going to run a highly modified vehicle, stock vehicle, I mean, it's all the same, like we talked about before, even if you're new or if you're advanced into doing this, you just check the whole car out, make sure everything's tight and whatnot. Um, the highly prepped cars, I would say any aftermarket thing that you've put in that vehicle, go check it again. Um, I have this love and hate relationship with aftermarket parts. <laughs> they can make you go a lot faster, but some aren't designed the best. They don't have the best engineers on the team when they made that part. And they maybe just were trying to make a buck and they had some guy pump something out and oh, it looked shiny and we want to buy it and put it on our car. So any aftermarket thing you do to your vehicle, make sure that it's secured and working as it should. Um, I see you figure your Subaru or your Mitsubishi or your Toyota pickup, whatever you bring out there, those manufacturers spend a lot of money on R&D making sure that their stuff's not going to come apart. So I, I kind of like the stock stuff, but at the same time, I've had the fast ones and they blow up. <laughs> but uh, other than that, um, you're just kind of there. You know, it's I got nothing more than that. Yeah. yeah, I want to be clear. That's great advice. Like going through and looking at each thing you've done that might be a little bit different or out of the ordinary and just making sure it's how you left it. That That's solid advice. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Also think in the aftermarket, you know, when you're looking at parts, durability is, is huge. You know, there's a lot of cheap parts out there and <laughs> knockoffs of mm you know, well-engineered parts. And, you know, I know sometimes you look at it and say, well, you know, this name brand well-engineered part is, you know, $400, but I can buy this cheap replica for a hundred. Gosh, it looked exactly the same. But, you know, the, you know, the honest answer to that is that, you know, the manufacturing process, the materials, like no one can look at a piece of steel and say, hey, this is how much carbon's in the steel. This is, you know, how much, you know, chromidium's in it, you know, like you can't, you know, and so if they make it shiny and they're both shiny, it looks shiny. So yeah. I would definitely say, you know, watch out the market parts and buy a quality part. And, and if you're hemming and hawing, you know, you know, jump online, take a look at what reviews are. I mean, you have to take everything, especially online with a grain of salt. But if you take a, you know, a big picture, and you look at 100 reviews, sure, you know, 10 of them are going to be coops, right? But, you know, the other 90 are probably going to give you at least something of an honest answer. So, and then just to jump back real quick on the towing part, the biggest thing I think we, we see with people who get stranded, especially people who don't drive a lot, are the tires. Mm -hmm. When the tires get to be over five years old, Trailer tires? Trailer and truck. So people who, and even RVs, RVs are mm. notorious for this. They sit there, the tires just sit there and cook in the sun. And then they go take it down the road and da, 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 boom. <laughs> so, you know, if your tires are more than five years old, um, you're, you're starting to gamble with, you know, the ability of, you know, the tire to, to handle the load that they're rated for. After five years, rubber just degrades, you know. So and you have really good advice that if you get one flat on your trailer, 
replace them both because oh. the next the other one's gonna go oh, without yeah. without fail yeah they're sure they're sure to fail you mm-hmm. you know somebody gets one blowout they go to leshwa they get a single tire on there on the way it blows out on the way down <laughs> and then guess what they get a blowout on the way home mm-hmm. uh, one of the other tires it's yep. like because they're all you can actually if you Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, looking at the side of, you can actually look at the side of the tire and they call it ozoning and you'll see the little cracks and stuff that'll form in them. And generally, you know, like Michelin standard is any tire that's 10 years or older should needs to be replaced regardless. Never get driven, you know, just done with. Um, but yeah, the six year, I think, is the mo- the benchmark that most tire manufacturers give you. Michelin just has higher because Michelin's Michelin. And um but you'll literally see the cracks on the side of the tire if it's getting to that point. The second I see it on any of my rigs, we get them off because it's, it's you know that that tire and that rubber is just degraded, and that's probably where Tito's going with like if you see one going, the rest are gonna go right behind it. <laughs> it's just right. you're you're just on that path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Make it just one headache. You know, go in, get them all <laughs> replaced. You know. Yeah, I know it's not your local tire place, but. You know, you're gonna literally have another one on the way home, mm-hmm. so you just gotta replace them all. Well, tires are sort of it's so hard, you spend so much money on them. You're like, this is not fun, this is like a pillar and that I just need it, but it's not exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about people who know they need some help, they need a shop to support them in their rallycross journey. But let's say their local shop does not even know what rallycross in what, what rallycross is. How would you walk in and tell them what kind of expect? Why can't I talk? What kind of inspection or shakedown they should be looking for? How do they say this is what I need? Uh, if you're going to a shop and have them do that, um, hopefully the mechanics, you know, apt enough to say it'd be like, okay, uh, you know, I need a full shakedown of the car. I need to know. You know, basically a full safety inspection. If the vehicle, if they deem the car vehicle or the vehicle safe for the road, then it's not going to be any different than what we go do. You know, and they're going to want to see any little movement, maybe in a suspension component or worn out bushing or, hey, this strut's leaking, uh, your brakes are down to nothing. I mean, they're going to do a full inspection on it because the whole reason we have a shop is we try to upsell something. You know, you try to, you try to, you know, you need to get the brakes. You need to do this and that. You know, the oil changes are their oil changes, you know, but um, but you also got to make sure that the vehicle is safe for your customer. And if the if you're going to go into a place and, you know, maybe don't tell them you're going to go race the car, you know, <laughs> but but maybe just be like, hey, I need a full safety inspection on my vehicle. You know, what do you charge for that? Whatever. Go down that road with it and then have them check it over and then just maybe listen to what they say. And if there's something that's really bad, have them fix it. If it's something that you're not comfortable with. Um, nobody wants to lose a wheel off a car going, you know, if you got a bad bearing, you're going to want to get it taken care of. Um, uh, but if you're just going to walk into a shop and ask, Hey, I need a seat or uh, I'm going to go take my car rally cross racing, you know, let me, you know, get an inspection. They're going to probably honestly do the same inspection. I can't see them going way above and beyond and spending 10 hours going over your car or figuring out, Oh, you need this or that. It's if your first time going into this, you're, you're kind of, I think you might be digging into a higher level of, prepping your vehicle for a first time going out. If you're going to go that hard, you know, it's, it, it's a, uh, it's going to be generally the same inspection. 
Right. Yeah, I would agree. I would say most vehicle inspections are going to cover everything. The only caveat I would add to that is that with, again, we're, we're, you know, the thing with rally is durability, being able to make it through your runs. You get a DNF, you lose. So if they come up and they say, you know, your struts seem a little soft, you know, or this bushing is starting to crack. I, you know, my personal opinion, I would say any of those kind of maybes, just get them taken care of. Because those maybes are very quickly going to turn into for sure's, um, you know, uh, just out on the rally cross course. If you have a strut that's starting to fail, it will fail at the next event. Mm-hmm. If you have a bushing that's starting, it will fail at the next event. Same ball joint. You know, if they're like, yeah, there's a little bit of play in your bearings, but it's okay. No, just, I would just say, get, get it done. You know, and yeah, yeah, most mechanics who do an inspection will 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 do it, and you might want to actually kick them a little bit of work, even if you're planning on doing a lot of the stuff yourself. Maybe have them do the tough stuff you don't like to do, Um, because if you just keep coming in for an inspection, going away and doing the work, um, they're probably going to end up pencil with your inspection. It's a little daunting (laughs) because it's no, there's no benefit. Like you said, it's a lost leader. You know they. They do inspections either for free or for very cheap, you know, prices in return for, you know, getting the work, you know, and if you're just taking the inspection, running off and doing all the work yourself, um, there's no incentive for them to do a real good look. And so, you know, and then also if you find a mechanic like Brandon, who's involved in the sport that you're involved in, they have a better understanding of you know, what to look for. And you're probably going to be a little more okay when they go to check something and a thing of dirt comes down <laughs> on them. So and that's most the of the mechanics I know are, are very, are some form of a racer, you know, <laughs> all yeah. we, we work on cars because we like cars, you know, yeah. if you don't like cars, you shouldn't work on them. <laughs> yeah. right. my, my, my only other little bit of advice would be like, before you take your car into a mechanic after a race, really put a hose to it, get up in the wheel well, hose it down, hose down the underside of the car. Cause it does suck as a mechanic to be looking up and get a face full of dirt or sand. You know, I know you can't get everything, but like, don't, don't have plobs of dirt just hanging out underneath the, the vehicle. So, which I guess also brings us to another point, cleaning the underside or cleaning your vehicle. You know, how important, how important is that to, to to keeping a vehicle in good shape very important i actually just did mine last night it sat in the trailer while i was fixing up something the past couple of days since hannigan um but even after our last stint at dirtfish krista did the the two-day event you know the 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 school and then we did the the little practice session um i took it home and cleaned the bottom of it I actually brought it back to the shop when i did it here normally i did it at home because i got gravel area and i was actually super surprised that i probably took about 80 pounds of dirt out of the bottom of that car just after that the practice day and the, it was crazy like because i don't do it here and i did it on pavement i'm like i gotta sweep all this up this is everywhere and it was like three of my dustbins full i mean it was so much weight it was just amazing after just a, two days of playing around so after every race i take it home and i put a sprinkler under the thing i just let it run i've tried the little pressure washer wand thing they got like the little four jets that you put on your pressure washer and it works okay but a good old-fashioned sprinkler is the best way to get it all done but it's surprising 
Yeah, you just oh. yeah put a sprinkler under the car and you hit you hit the back of the one it. One that goes and like then this. You, Yep. And then you move it. Yeah, you can get the one that goes back and forth. Yeah, that, and it spins kinda, around. that gets stuck every now and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and then you just keep moving it forward. Yeah. The, just yep. you got to get the dirt like wet and soft, and then it comes right off mm-hmm. with the pressure yep. washer. It's like pressure washing concrete sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the dirt fish stuff, like I do got to get. I made a wand itself that I've actually bent the thing over just so it's a little hooks and it just really pressure wash the bottom. But every single race, clean under your car if you can. I'm more fastidious about it. You know, I clean the inside, the outside, everything. I just don't. I'm running a stock car. It's nice getting into a clean car when you're going racing. You just don't feel dirty and gross getting in there. It's already going to be hot and nasty or cold and wet, <laughs> you know. But. <laughs> either way it's a lot it's a lot nicer feeling when you get in the car plus cleaning your windows really helps you know you get a lot more visibility with clean windows you know clean the inside clean the outside you know make sure everything is good to go you know that's way you can see you know really dirty window on your side but if you clean your front window you might not see the guy that's waving a red flag on the left side of the vehicle or the right side you know clean cleanliness is key in my opinion yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, 80 pounds is definitely a competitive advantage. You know, it's basically a free, it just takes your time. And, you know, you don't have rocks up and dirt everywhere. And yes, cleaning cleaning the windshield is a huge thing. I've definitely seen people who struggle with a dirty windshield, which I would also say bring Windex and paper towels with you to the race. Because if it does get dusty and, you know, in between runs, good chance to clean clean all your windows. And the side window also, you know, if you're driving an all-wheel or rear-wheel drive car, as you're driving, you're going to be looking out of your side window because you'll be sideways. And, you know, um, really suck to get sideways and then just can't see, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... All right, let's talk about one last big topic, which is for the person who didn't build their car, they're not intimately familiar with it. So they don't already have the tools and the replacement parts and all the things. What should you bring as a competitor to a race in terms of tools? Um, You just mentioned Windex and paper towels. That's a super solid one. But tools, um, kind of equipment, light equipment or replacement parts. What should you have with you on race day? Um, I would definitely say fuses. I've seen a lot of that. Some you take out. We recommend pulling airbag and airbag fuses is a good one. ABS, some of us pull, we like. But tools-wise, I have just not a very expensive goal kit with, you know, your full set of wrenches and sockets and, you know, just three-eighths, just standard stuff. Um, A jack, you're going to want that for your wheels and tires. Obviously, have a spare. Uh, Torque wrench would be good for your wheels. Uh, air compressor, like we were talking about earlier, for tires. Um, as far as spare parts, anything could break. Uh, you know, you go down that road, <laughs> anything could break. Um, that's kind of to each vehicle setup. You know, if you have a turbo car with a bunch of piping on it that's aftermarket, uh, maybe have some extra clamps or something for your your tubes uh hose clamps are great for anything you can fix all sorts of stuff with them not just hoses <laughs> um yeah uh, uh duct tape right <laughs> if your bumper falls off just take it off <laughs> it's not going to stay on there <laughs> um but that's kind of each car is to their own i think at that point i can't tell you to bring an extra cv axle because i don't know that's something you maybe should have had taken a look at beforehand you know if you thought it was going to break why are you bringing an extra but 
if you have a highly modified car, you might know that that's a problem part for you. Um, but other than that, your standard set of tools, pliers, you know, that kind of little stuff, needle nose pliers to get the rocks out of the beads really help. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that's just your basic general setup of tools. Yeah. A couple, couple of things I would add to that. I would, I would say a torque wrench, even if you don't, you're not super savvy. They're pretty simple to use. So it's a good way to I check. I thought I got that in there. He did, but oh, that's did okay. okay. It's doubly uh, important. It's a glitch uh, out. Did, did we get zip ties? We didn't. Zip ties. Oh, we didn't get zip ties. We yeah. tape, zip ties are magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then generally, you know, the other thing that I found uh, that's come in handy a lot is a big ass pry bar hmm. and generally a big hammer. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Again, I'm not the car person, but I do I do know people bring a small board to put under their jack. So if you're on like a wet or uneven surface, have something level to put it on. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, I was going to say a mallet of sorts. Right. Um, and with a jack, a jack stand. A jack stand. Yes. Um, no crawling under a car up on a jack. You got to put it on a jack stand. Yeah, it's not safe. Um, and then everyone I kind of see has a, um, a random box of screws, hose clamps, just any, any nuts, bolts, whatever. So if you don't have your own random box just yet, know that your neighbor in the paddock area probably does. And if you need a little screw, ask a friend. And a flashlight. A ah, flashlight. That's great advice. Yeah. Because some areas, the little crevices are pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're checking a tire. That can even be helpful mm -hmm. depending on the lighting in the day. That's mm -hmm. really good advice. Yeah. All right. Are there any last things we didn't cover that, like, if you're going out to rallycross, you need to know? Dress appropriately. No. If it's going to be hot, everybody at the last one, he, uh, he showed up the next morning. It was all cloudy and dark. He's like, I had to go buy like a hundred bucks worth of clothes. I'm just oh. like, eh? <laughs> yes. prep your suitcase properly. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Right. So the same way you prep your car, if it's going to be wet, bring a pop-up tent, bring yourself a rain jacket, yep. bring a hat, bring, I swear, bring an extra pair of shoes and socks. Nobody yeah, I, I bring around. a whole set of clothes just for fixing the car if I have to fix the car, rolling around underneath it. Just, you know, if you got to get in there and you got to get grease, you know, your rubber gloves, you know, anything that you can do to keep yourself not getting too dirty when you're getting dirty always helps. <laughs> yeah. A jumpsuit. I see a lot of people uh, to get a jumpsuit, yep. um, like a mechanic suit that you can get dirty because you don't want to roll around in the dirt fixing your car and then jump up and then you get in your car and now all that dirt is now in your seat and it's between like you and the seat. It's just like grinding into your <laughs> seat. You know, it'd be nice to just be able to yeah. superman, just tear it off and <laughs> go race. <laughs> all right. On the Superman comment, Thank you so much for taking the time today to talk everyone through this. Um, the car spa is sort of old school. You guys aren't on the social media. So we will pop up a little bit of information with your guys' phone number. If you're in the Seattle metro area, these guys are obviously great and really well-versed in Rallycross and how to take care of your Rallycross car. So and, thank you. And your street car and your tow vehicle. Yes. All true. Yep. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. You guys have a good one. Thank you for tuning in today. If you are local to the Seattle or Bellevue area and you're interested in checking out the car spa, we have linked their information in our show notes. Um, you also can just Google them and give them a call. 
If this episode sparked more questions in you about getting started with Rallycross, we have some great resources on our Northwest Rally Association website. It's nwrallyassociation.com, and you'll find a Welcome to Rallycross guide with a whole bunch of information about where to start. We also have a um, Rallycross packing list, lots of great information to just help you get ready and make sure you have all the boxes checked before you start racing. And as always, please send us questions. If you have any, you can just direct message us on social media or use the contact forms on our website. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll catch you guys on the next one.